The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. Poker is a game of people, so I never really look at the cards, especially as they're being dealt and as they're coming out, because that information doesn't change over time. I watch how people react to their cards. I watch how people react to the board. I watch how people touch their chips, how they cap their cards, because that's a transient moment that you never get back. You can't rewind the tape and see their reaction to the board. So I'm focused on them first and foremost, and then I'm taking the data points as they come at me. So if they raise or if they bet, how much did they raise? How much did they bet? How much have they historically bet in similar situations? How does that compare to what they're betting now? It's constantly looking and analyzing all these different data points and then coming to some sort of logical conclusion. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. What are we doing here? You mean listening to this show? Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healers and the atheists pray? It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. Bambos, Charles, Demetrio, and the Shalef. We are here on a wonderful chaos episode one seven three, and we're talking to Brad Wilson. This is one of those out of left field shows. I think when you saw it, you thought, Andy, what the hell are you bringing to me today? No, I actually, I actually felt that it was an interesting subject. Oh, that's fun. We're going to talk to him about playing poker professionally which he's done for 14 years and i have a lot of questions me too <laughs> and where are we going to do this mr shayla <laughs> oh, we're going to do it on a wonderful <laughs> chaos you've never played poker you know no i've never really played poker I know my brother did. I remember when I was in uh, like grade school or high school, my brother would get a load of pennies. There would be like thousands of pennies and then they'd play with pennies and then there'd sort of be this competition in the house. And I never really got interested in, to, in it. I've played strip poker once, but, okay. I, but, I, but I, I think it was like a more improvised game. Yeah, you were like, who picked a higher card? I, you didn't, <laughs> you're not like who had two kings or anything. Nah. no. So um, I saw this. Do you know what two kings means? Uh, I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> Just checking. Do you? Is there a meaning that I don't know? We're going to ask. Oh, okay. Brad. oh, I know what two kings mean. I know that. It's a pair. That I know. Yeah. Okay. I've got that far. But the thing that, um, that was cool was that when I saw Brad Wilson's, uh, I saw him, I found him on the internet, and I thought, what a cool discussion. And what- you're, you're like a stalker. Like, I don't know how you find people. You're like this stalker. You know, there's like there's like two places on Facebook. You'll sort of say what feels interesting, and Brad's story was on one of these groups. And I looked at it, and I thought, and and I thought, 14 years he's been playing professional poker, 
And then I felt uncomfortable inside, right? Because I thought if I lived in a way that made me feel like I had to, I mentioned it before, like I have to win. And in order for me to win, somebody else has to lose. That's the first one. And there's another idea is that in some ways, although life is always a risk, right? We're always taking risks. The idea or the concept that basically I'm at a table and if my luck, and I'm assuming it's luck, is not good on that day, I might have no money. Not only might I have no money, I might lose the money for the following months. So that all those feelings came up for me when I thought, if you did this professionally, how do you keep like a sound mind and not go a bit crazy? So that and then and then I, and then I kind of had another laugh because I realized all life is a risk. Every job you think is stable isn't really stable. And yet we think it's stable. And therefore, a lot of feelings came up. And I thought, how cool would it be just to talk to him about that journey? Yeah. You know, independently, he's been doing his own podcast called Chasing Poker Greatness for the last 16 months. So he does it three times a, a, a week. It sounds like COVID uh, birth. We'll have to see. Yeah, 16 months. It would have been more than COVID. He would have done it beforehand. But and uh, and and basically, he's teaching other people how to become better poker players. Mm. So he's basically gestating the the principles of what makes for better poker playing, and then helping others learn that as well as being a professional himself. So that's kind of a little bit about Brad. I thought it'd just be fun to talk to him. Like when I think of poker. I think of emotions, actually. Yeah, me too. Be- because, and, and I would even say the more connected you are to yourself, the more you can adjust yourself, like to put a, a poker face on, let's say. Yeah. And also you, you need to kind of be good at tuning into feeling. I don't know if it's, in, I don't know if it will be intuition or if it will be just reading body language. Yeah. Like if someone's bluffing, Right. We know that if someone's bluffing that they have a better hand than they do. Like what is the skill or the competency or the sixth sense that allows one person to say, I see that and another person not to see it? Like what are the telltale signs of that? Mm. So there's a lot of obviously a lot of psychoanalysis that goes into it. But independent of that, it would just be fun to talk to Brad about that life and how it works for him. Yeah. Yeah. So we bring on Brad Wilson from Atlanta, Georgia. Yo, yo. How's it going, guys? Very well. My first question to you, Brad, is show me a poker face. (laughs) (laughs) Man, uh, it's been so long since I've been able to be around other people that I I don't even know if I have a poker face anymore. But do you know a poker face? Is there literally a poker face? That's a really good question. (laughs) I mean, basically, in the game of poker, you're just trying to conceal information and there are multiple ways that you can do it. You can just go stone-faced and try to pretend like you're a rock. I mean, you can act very erratic. You can do a lot of different things so that it's hard to discern exactly what that thing means. But ultimately, um, I guess in other cases, you're playing against weaker players and you want to manipulate them in some way. So you change um, you know, your demeanor to reflect strength or to reflect weakness um, Mm -hmm. if you think that that's going to influence a decision. So, I mean, there are poker faces, of course, like just turning to stone, but I would say that it's pretty overrated, I think. Okay. Where both of us are fascinated, like 
how do you suss out a weak player? Like, what's the te- like? Do you know within a second that this isn't a weak that this is a weak player, or do you have to like see the way they play at their first hand? Like, how do you know? For the most part, I mean, like I said, I- I've been playing for seventeen years. I've played thousands and thousands of hours with many, many different people. You can tell when somebody's comfortable walking into a card room, and when they mm-hmm. how they touch their chips, how they look at their cards, how they sit in the chair. You can if they're like anxious if they're you know super tight they're not loose and joking with people i mean you you can tell just really by their demeanor how they conduct themselves and people that don't play poker professionally or play it recreationally as a hobby um, they typically have day jobs and so you know that's sort of the difference you know it i i imagine that if instead of going to their day job all day long they play poker they'd be more comfortable and they would inevitably be a stronger player but just because of the pressure of playing for thousands of dollars against your fellow man if you're not in that arena all the time it's going to affect you you're going to crack and even experienced hardened card players that have been playing for decades can sometimes crack and their emotions can kind of ooze out onto the table if they're not careful you know once i made a mistake and I clicked, you know how like Google, YouTube works? If you click on one link, then you get videos from that same fucking thing for the next month. I got poker videos for like a month about people that lost it at the poker tables. Mm-hmm. So like well-known people. And, and I wasn't all that interested in poker, but all of a sudden I'm now interested in poker because <laughs> I'm, I, I click on one link and then they just assume the algorithm says feed them more of this. Um, and I, what I thought was fascinating was that that in some ways you would see what really felt like bullying at the table. Like people were really kind of nastily fighting, like almost bullying each other. And, and then that emotion became more important than the actual cards they were holding. I think that's, I equate it to, you know, and this is a comparison. Uh, well, I haven't thought about it, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, you know, the riots over the summer and how, you know, we have these like flash takes of just bedlam and co- uh, cop cars being lit on fire and burning. Mm. And I'm in Atlanta. So some of that stuff was going down. You know, I could practically see the CNN building and then I mm. see I see the news and like they're chunking stuff through the glass. And, you know, my my family is calling me because they don't live here. And they're like, hey, are you OK? Like, is everything just insane there? And I'm like, yeah. I have seen absolutely no I've seen nothing like there's, there's no evidence that anything has even happened. Right. But what they've taken is just a 10 second clip um, when the shit went down and Mm. then everybody believes that like, that's how it was for just days uh, of just burning and looting and rioting. Right. Uh It's like, no, that was like a 10 second outlier. And poker's the same, like for the most part, the higher stakes that you play, the less likely you are to see people acting like fools because those guys are professionals in both sense. There's respect from the people who have enough discretionary income to come mm-hmm. drop by the card room, lose $5,000 and not care about it at all. Okay. And it, like those people are <laughs> extremely respectable from my perspective, because it means that in life they've achieved some level of success that I can barely even fathom. And yeah. they're just interesting humans and full of knowledge and wisdom. And they're actually happy to share. And, um, so you, you respect them and then they respect the poker players because they understand how tough of a game this is, how hard you kind of have to be to 
you know, it's not, there, there's not a ton of jobs in the world. There are some that you show up, pour your heart out for 10 hours and go home mm. poor than when you sat down. Um, so I think that there's that mutual respect at the high stakes, at the low yeah. stakes where people are less emotionally in control, where maybe, you know, two to $500 yeah. means a lot more to folks. Mm. They're much more likely to have an emotional reaction and kind of lose their shit and start yelling yeah. and going insane. But it's, it's very mm. interesting that like the more money you play for, the less that seems yeah. to happen. Fascinating. On a side note, I w was looking at one of the memes that I got in my feed, and it was one of the funnier memes that I – it took me a second to understand what the joke was, but it was Kim Kardashian playing poker with mirrored sunglasses on. <laughs> Do you get you, – have you ever had such an experience? No. Like, so basically, uh, so basically, everybody could see her cards because just look into her eyes and she's reflecting whatever she's holding in her hand. Right. <laughs> like it was just a funny moment of time when you realize there are things that give away what's in your hand and you don't even know it. Like, yeah, yeah. That's not that's not a thing. Uh, <laughs> not a, not a thing I've ever seen it <laughs> Never. At, at, at a serious poker table. No. Yeah, uh, Brad. Um, it, it's it sounds like like when you say there's a kind of respect among amongst certain players um i mean these we're talking about players who who actually have an abundance mindset i would i would almost say yeah for sure the mm. more abundant the mindset the less scarce and you have to realize that there's yeah like you know Tim Ferriss says a lot that your your net work is your net worth and you don't want to burn bridges in such a volatile endeavor with your fellow poker players. You you show up while you're at the table, you're there to for lack of a better better phrase, slit each other's throat. You're there to go to battle, you're there to go to war, but when you stand up, it's like, cool, let's go get drinks. Let's go let's go shoot some hoops. Let's go mm. hang out. I mean, I think in those relationships are actually some of the most valuable relationships that I've made over the course of my existence. Fascinating. You'll you'll actively be friends with people you're playing poker with for real money, like the kind of money that would feel uncomfortable to lose. Absolutely, for sure. Wow. It, it, I would think somehow that there would be a bit of people thinking if you know who and how and I operate, it'll give you a better sense of knowing if I'm bluffing at the table. So isn't there an aspect like when you're, when you're there and you're like, oh, I can see he's bluffing just because I know how he plays basketball. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. No, there's, there's no, no correlation. I mean, when we're playing poker, it's business time and wow. away from the table, that's where we're having fun and letting down our guard and removing the mask. And at the poker table, you know, it's it's like if you sit down with your family and play a, a game with deception, um, yeah. you're not able to just tell exactly when your wife or your friend is lying or misrepresenting mm. the facts. Yeah. And it's, it's the exact same. Wow. Have you like, have you ever lost your shit? And if yes, which one would be the most uh, uncomfortable moment to share? The most uncomfortable moment to share of me losing my shit. I mean, so I'm fairly well. 
at some point, and I have a lot of years that have now escaped my memory banks for <laughs> one reason or another. I guess it's a sign that I'm getting older, right? Yeah. But at some point, I, I just realized that I wanted to be seen as a professional. And so I, there is no losing my shit at the poker table. I mean, the, mm. the biggest, you know, the, the times that I, I have gotten angry, um, they're not even that angry. You know, it's just like a moment of internal rage. And if I feel like I can't recover, then I just stand up and mm. go do something else and sort of cool, cool off. But I mean, yeah. any, anytime, like, I mean, if somebody does something out of line, right? Like I think, you know, I, I played a bunch of hours with Bruno Mars in LA. He was like going on a world tour and stopped by the commerce for a few weeks and played probably 50 or 60 hours. And like, I, I think that it was weird in that he, he wanted to be just, just a dude playing cards, like one of the boys. Right. And some mm -hmm. people, some people treated him very, very differently. And, and I think that like that annoyed me, but that annoyed me to just to the point of like, I just want to bust these guys so that they can get out of here and we can like yeah. go back to just playing cards and laughing and joking and having fun. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I can't really think of any instances where I just kind of flew off the handle, um, mm. at least after my brain matured past the age of like mm. 24, 25. Yeah. So what you're saying is that you're not reactive, but you can tune into the emotion and be conscious about how you navigate it, actually. Sure. I mean, you know, I practice meditation. I... Mm -hmm. When I coach my guys, we talk about a lot about feeling our emotions, gaining an awareness that we are feeling emotions. I think that human beings in general don't always even know when they're experiencing an emotion, when they feel agitated, when they feel anxious, when they feel like on the verge of just going off and erupting. And in poker, it's very important that you know when – you know how you're feeling emotionally. And I think beyond that, you know, you talked in the intro about reading other people and being in touch with yourself. And really one of the major edges that you could have in poker is having a high emotional intelligence and understanding how other people react, especially mm -hmm. when there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of money on the line. There's a lot of judgment, right? This is not something that people think a lot about, but when you're sitting around the table playing against eight other people, you play a hand bad, you get judged, you feel embarrassed, you feel oh. shame about what happened. And so all of these sort of emotions come together and some of the best poker players in the world, they are very, very, very good at reading emotions, whether it be, it, it may not even be um, something that they can even describe where, you know, I believe that like the, the body has an intelligence that the mind doesn't yeah. always know. And you're in a coffee shop, you're sitting there drinking coffee and you just get this sense that like somebody's looking at you and you look up and there they are. Right. And mm. where you, how many times have you called a friend and they answer the phone and the first thing they say, wow, that was so weird. I was just thinking about you. Like, I, I, I just believe that we can sense other people's energy. I know that, you know, there, we emit an electromagnetic pulse mm. um, from human to human. And I think that like when you're full of anxiety, when you're scared, when you're nervous, that emotional energy can be picked up on. And at the poker table, that's a very, very useful skill to have. Yeah. Mm. Are there people you won't play against because they're too good? No. 
Really? I, I think that there are people... Why do you say... Would, why do you, no, no, I think he would not play people who are not very good. Or no, I would, are, I would play both. I, yeah? I mean... You wouldn't look at a table and say, oh, that's the best player in the world. I can't, I don't want to get caught on that table or something. I mean, if it's the number one through eight best players in the world all playing against each other, but you know, the way that the way that the money flows and the way that poker works is that it's really easy to lose a lot if you don't Mm -hmm. know what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. so your hourly loss rate is almost infinite, whereas your hourly win rate is certainly capped. And so all it takes is a table full of six players um, who are exceptionally, exceptionally good. And then two bad players who are just giving it away. And everybody that sits down at the table, all the pros are favorites to win the money. Wow. And, but the the pros are competing against each other as well. Sure. Yeah. They're competing against each other, but we sit down with the knowledge that we're going to battle against each other. But, you know, poker is not just, you mentioned like a, a one day type thing. Poker is, it's a long-term deal where you're playing many, many hours and you have an hourly rate and you'll go through downswings, you'll go through upswings. And w- when the day ends, when our session ends, that's not the end of the poker game. And so yeah. we just put ourselves in positive situations um, over and over and over again with the knowledge that maybe it doesn't work out five times or 10 times in a row, but eventually it will work out. And so can, you just be resilient. Like can, if, if you look at like a year, I don't, I mean, I'd, I'd love raw numbers if you're comfortable with that. Like what would be the biggest hole you've been in where you said, if I look at the, I mean, you have to look at year to year because I'm looking at it like I'm treating you like a business mm-hmm. and it's January one, right? And, and I know over time you might've made a, a few million or you, you would say on January one, if you had a year, what would be the year that you'd say, I dropped down to, what would be the maximum that you say you were in the black or in the red? Sorry. I don't know. I I don't really know. I mean, when I started playing online back in 2004, I would say from 2004 to 2011, I had very few losing months. So much less losing years. You know, there are bad days, but we play, especially an online player. I mean, it's about volume. Okay. So you try to play 40,000 to a hundred thousand hands a month. And so just because of sheer volume, hold on a um, second, just, just slow that down. 40,000 to a hundred thousand hands a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to work that out in like uh, hands per hour. <laughs> That's I mean, a lot of hands. Online, you don't have to deal with a dealer. You don't have to deal with shuffling. Okay. The cards come at you very fast, and you can play multiple tables. And okay. I'm back in the day, I would play six tables at a time. Um, and you know, I wasn't even putting in hours that were like ungodly because I, I'm a I'm a high intensity player. Um, I, I believe that we all have a reservoir of willpower on a daily basis, and mm-hmm. when you know. There's a thing that happens with people who play chess. Um, I, I didn't realize what was going on because I didn't have this information at the time. But yeah. w- when guys go play chess against each other, a week-long chess tournament, um, I can't remember the exact number, but it's something around 10,000 to 15,000 calories they burn every day. Just okay. sitting in a chair because you know our brain weighs uh, – th- it takes 3% of our mass, but it consumes 25% of our energy. Mm. And so – 
because they're so cognitively engaged and focused and intense, they burn so many calories just sitting there. And I didn't realize it at the time, but me being a high intensity player, I would play a session and feel like my brain was just mush. I would feel just totally wiped out. And I only learned later on that 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 makes a lot of sense because of how much cognitive energy I was burning Mm. just by sitting in front of my computer for two to three hours for a session at a time. Wow. And that's where meditation comes in. That's where sleep comes in. I think (laughs) that's like we're looking at recovery and rejuvenation Mm. at that point. I I, I don't think I don't think you can meditate away um, that feeling of just spentness, you know. It's like, as I'm here with you and I'm looking, like even this present moment, I see that there's you're rocking on your chair and, so, and you use the word intensity. And I was like, yeah. oh, fuck. It feels like yeah, that totally. intensity is just a vibration in your body. Yeah. And so, somewhere during the day, you need to find a way. And you just said sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I still want to go back to the raw numbers. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the worst day and the best day you've ever had for context for me? The worst day that I've ever had, I've lost. So I had one really bad day. Um, that was minus $55,000. Okay. I have lost the other days are 20, 25K, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really keep track of those. And I guess the, the best day, maybe something like 30K, 29, 30K. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because my wife is always my wife is uh, working in the hedge fund industry for many years, and she's <laughs> like, "Andy, people don't make money. They don't get it. Like, you don't make money by making the money. You get make money by taking care of your downside risk. So if you like, if you downside risk it, and then you'll make incremental amounts. But if you lose a lot, then it takes away everything that those incremental stuff. So I'm assuming it's probably similar in poker as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it can be." But uh-huh. in, in poker, like you have a bankroll, right? Like, so you have the money that's allocated that you play poker with, and then you run variance calculators. You look at the risk, you analyze it, and you try to determine the stake that you can play to minimize your chance of risk of ruin. Um, okay. It's actually, you know, it's more scientific than, than you would think. Um, and then we just work on that basis. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. When you're looking at the card deck, are you thinking in terms of percentages? Like, like, and if so, how do you? How would you explain how your brain is experiencing it? Poker is a game of people, so I never really look at the cards, um, especially as they're being dealt and as they're coming out, because that information doesn't change over time. I watch how people react to their cards. I watch how people react to the board. I watch how people touch their chips, how they cap their cards. And then, you know, because that's a, that's a transient moment that you never get back. You can't rewind the tape and see their reaction to the board. So I'm focused on them first and foremost, and then I'm taking the data points as they come at me. So if they, if they raise or if they bet, how much, how much did they raise? How much did they bet? How much have they historically bet in similar situations? Um, how does that compare mm. to what they're betting now? Uh, and, you know, just it's constantly wow. looking and analyzing all these different data points and then coming to some sort of logical conclusion. Fascinating. Like, uh, yeah, that, 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 that was like you just kid us both simultaneously. I, I feel like what the fuck? Yeah, because basically – 
actually you're not looking because if they got a really good hand and then you see they start putting into they like they haven't put any money in for the last six hands and all of a sudden they put money and then you know oh finally they got the hand they wanted and they think that all of us don't know it you know that's not yeah that that that's a little bit of an oversimplification because Uh it could just be they don't do anything for five hours or they do something last week and that's the thing that allows me to make a more informed decision that mm-hmm. I just recall and compare. It, it's it's much longer time frames than like six hands. It could be, you know, there there was a situation where I learned about a physical tell at the playing a cash game at WSOP in Vegas where I called the guy on the river. He did this weird thing where he was he was a an amateur player and I'm like I said I, I'm pretty I'm pretty I, I try to be fun and loose at the poker table. I joke try to help everybody have a good time. And, you know, he, he made a bet on the river and I'm like, man, like, what do you got? You know, wh- what's going on here? And he, he kind of looked at me and he, he gave me this like little, like a, a little shrug like that. And, um, it struck me as odd. I didn't exactly know what to make of it. And, but he hadn't done anything like this over the course of the whole time I had played with him. And so I didn't really, I was like, whatever. So I folded, And he shows me a stone cold bluff. And, you know, this is maybe 2012 in the summer. And then a year later in a much bigger game, um, sort of a similar thing happens where the action's still open. I face a bet on a bet of, I guess it was around $2,500 or $3,000 on the turn. Mm -hmm. I asked the guy the question and he, does the little mm. and in the meantime i learned that it was a fake smile that was what was so odd to me about it there were no crow's feet in the eyes it was just like a manufactured like i'm pretending like i'm happy but i'm not actually happy and in this situation i had a marginal hand i called um based on the the tell and then he shoves the river for like nine thousand dollars and at the, like i had second pair but um, recalling the previous hand, I called and he just said nice hand and kind of disappeared into the world. And, and it's stuff like that that kind of happens at poker where you learn something, you don't know whether it's going to be useful or you don't know when it's going to be useful. And then one day it is, and you win a $30,000 pot and you're like, cool, that worked out. Yeah. It sounds like consistency into like gut feeling and allowing your curiosity and whatever you're experiencing in the moment to guide you, even if it doesn't always make sense. Mm. Yeah, curiosity, I think, is maybe my superpower and the, the superpower of poker players in general because we constantly want to know why. We constantly want to know why something's happening the way that it is, and we're trying to reverse engineer it. We're trying to, you know, if you want to imagine what poker is, imagine poker as me being um, a model like when I'm sitting at the poker poker table, I'm a model for poker decisions. And my mm. model is just making decisions based on various inputs and data points. And mm. what I'm doing is having my model compete against the models of my opponents. And whoever's model is superior at the end of the day is the one that's going to get the money. Mm. And so because of that, you know, we're always trying to reverse engineer each other's model. We're trying to figure yeah. out the inefficiencies, where the mistakes are so that we can capitalize on it. And, and, 
yeah, curiosity just guides you in there of why did they do that? Why didn't they do this? Why, why did they play this way? And, um, you know, po- poker is one of the more complex games mm. in the history of humanity because of the people factor. Um, just people do very weird things. I'm sure y'all are both aware of that. And what's ultimately fascinating about poker is like, I said the model comparison, right? But my model when I'm playing against a good player is going to be different than my model when I'm playing yeah. against a weaker player. Like it's going to be very separate models that I use in each situation. So even information that you get from the strong players at your game, when they make a decision against a weaker player, isn't necessarily useful in the future. If they're making decisions against yeah, you, I understand. Because yeah. you're going to be different than them. You, you really are constantly taking everything into account. Yeah. The, there's something that, my brain is exploding right now. Jesus. I'm like, got so many things going on as you talk. Hurry up because I also Go, have... continue then. How did you get into this world? Like, who were you? Who, who was Brad before? Yeah. And how did anyone let you into the world? Can you imagine going home to your parents and saying, <laughs> hey, mom and dad, I'm going to be a professional <laughs> poker player. Like, how does that look? You know? I have led an odd existence, I guess. I think that from an early age, I was the kid that did well without having to really try in school. Um, and I never really tried. I didn't like school. Um, I, it was boring. I hated sitting in a chair all day. Like you said, I'm like rocking back in my, like, I'm just, I have a lot of energy and a lot of, I'm very fidgety. Um, and and that's just sort of how I'm constructed. And, um, you know, because I, I think something happens when, you're a kid in a household and there are multiple kids and maybe one of the kids needs more attention than the other one because I was self-sufficient. I made decent grades. I didn't really have to try. I never got in any trouble. And so I feel like in some ways I kind of raised myself um, to -hmm. some extent. And so I always felt a high degree of autonomy and card playing was just something that I loved doing my whole life. I love playing rummy with my grandparents. I love playing Penny Annie, seven card stud with my grandparents. I played spades um, as a 14 year old. And I remember I was in lit class in high school writing out spades theory, um, strategy theory, while I was supposed to be doing like literature work. And so cards, I've always enjoyed cards. And then I didn't enjoy school. So I graduate in 2002. I don't know what I want to do with my life. Nothing is really resonating with me. I, I, I value my freedom. I want to do what I want to do. And so I took a year off, sort of just, you know, the, the gap year. Yeah. And I worked as a job at Applebee's. I was a server. I was a host. Um, one of my spades partners that I had become friends with who lived in Florida while I lived in Atlanta his mom was a blackjack dealer um, and he started playing poker and um, he like cashed in a tournament for 2,500 or something like that and kind of came through town and we hung out. It was around New Year's actually. I can, I can say that it was probably New Year's of 2003 mm. and he left and I just got to thinking about it and I, I called him up and I said, hey man, I, I think – I want to play poker. Um, would it, would you help me out if, if I really dedicated myself and he wanted, um, somebody to discuss poker with is it can be a fairly isolating journey. 
and we were both young and we were both friends, you know? So we're, we were 19. I was 19 when, when I made that call. So mm, I turned wow. 20, I save up three or $4,000. And, you know, as I said, I, I guess because I, I raised myself in some ways, I had that autonomy. It was never really a situation where I, I asked for permission. It was, this is what I'm going to do yeah. and wish me luck. And I love you guys. And I mean, there were members of my family that kind of tried to dissuade me, but there was none that wasn't going to happen because I, you know, I had a fairly good and compelling argument of I'm 20 years old. And even if I lose 4,000 bucks and have to drive back home, like what's the, what's the downside here? I'm not taking care of a family. I'm only responsible for me. So if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, no big deal. Um, and so and how yes. was that? How was the first time you went out and spent that money? How did that go? Uh, you mean play poker? Yeah, because you had the money you saved and now you went out for your first big. Where was it? Was it in Vegas or? or... No, it was in Florida. Uh, my okay. friend lived in Florida. I drove yeah. my car down to Cocoa Beach and we played on the cruises to nowhere. There are these little gambling cruises that shoot off of Cape Canaveral. Okay. They would go into international waters. Like I said, I, I was underage. I was 20 um, for gambling. And the first session that I ever played, it was actually, it's kind of funny now looking back on it. Um, I got aces, which you can tell in that picture behind you is kings. Like aces is the best hand in uh, No Limit Texas Hold'em. And very nervous, excited, um, a lot of emotions for being the first time that I ever played. And I remember just like raising and re-raising and raising and re-raising with aces. And I, I don't remember the board. I just know that I won. And the dealer pushed the chips my way. And I was on this cruise to nowhere. And that was like that very moment was the moment that I found out that I have horrible motion sickness. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I ran out and I just spewed <laughs> over the rail um, all over the canopy down below. <laughs> oh, that no. Yeah, uh, that was the last cruise that I went on without taking Dramamine <laughs> beforehand. But yeah, that was the first significant pot that I won. I won it. And then I went and vomited all over everything uh, outside. Um, love it. Oh, that's uh, being bathed in fire. Do, do you know, when I hear you speak about the poker world, it, it feels like there's different practices out in the world. Like there's also um, the art of picking up women, for example, and you have to kind of read and become congruent and as I hear you speak, I kind of see these two parallel worlds, which are a little bit judged or they're in the shadows, mm. and yet they are an art. They are. I mean, uh, well, I, I don't know about like the, uh, you know, the, the pickup game. Um, I, I have had friends that were very involved in like that whole, that whole thing. It wasn't really, it, it didn't really resonate with me, but it, it is a lot of reading tells and emotions and having confidence to act. I, I know that that's, really fundamentally a large part of it. Mm. Um, poker to me, you know, is a meritocracy. It's a game where everybody sits down knowing the deal. Everybody has a chance to be prepared. Everybody has a chance to learn and grow and be their best selves. And at the end of the day, the best players are the ones who win the money. And, you know, we, you, you talked about beating people out of their money and, and that being a thing that, that weighs on you. I can say that like, as somebody who's fairly fairly in touch with how other people feel, that that is a thing that I have struggled with over the course of my career. But 
at the end of the day, like I said, it, it's a meritocracy. And you could mm. say that, you know, we're in the podcasting game, right? If you're, if you're the number one podcaster, guess what? You're taking revenue from all the other podcasters. Like True. it's a competition too. And business is a competition. In a lot of ways, business is way less fair than a meritocracy of sitting down and playing cards um, to the best mm. of your ability. So I think poker has really gotten a bad rap. I think it's positioned pretty poorly as it relates to the general public and mm. kind of viewed as this smoky backroom type endeavor when really, you know, it, it's a, it's a mind competition mm. and yeah, that that's, that's sort of, there's a lot of misnomers, I guess, as it relates to playing poker, but mm. I, I wish that that was a thing that could change because for the most part, you know, like I said, I do a podcast chasing poker greatness. The poker community is one of the most generous giving mm. friendly communities that you're ever going to be a part of. Um, mm. We take care of our own and that's a thing that doesn't really get a lot of press. It doesn't really get talked about a lot, but because we're so empathetic with human beings, um, that's not something we can just switch off. And so we, you know, we try to be fair. We try to treat people well. There are of course, in any large community, there are some shitheads, but that's just the nature of the beast. For the most part, though, I think like like, humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. And like, I have no doubt that if a meteor struck my body, um, that the poker community would help my family out. Like, I have no doubt that they would they would in an instant help help them out. And I think that like Mm. that, that makes me proud to be a member of the poker community and Mm. sort of just proud to be somebody who does what I do. I've got questions about mental health. Are there people you see that have been in your environment that have lost and been so distraught that they've even committed suicide because it was just overwhelming and too much for them? So that's it. It's a really hard question to answer because you don't know what the catalyst is. Yeah. Right. We don't know what we don't know all of the variables and factors in play that leads to that. Yeah, I, I have played a few times with someone who did commit suicide. Um, I don't know why they committed suicide. Like yeah. I don't know exactly what the mental health reason was behind it. I'm I'm not a doctor who can diagnose such a thing. No, clearly, I, I would say that like mental health problems exist. Uh, I guess in every phase of life, and yeah, there are people that have gambling addictions that maybe. <clears throat> maybe jump in the poker game. But for the most part, poker poker is different than like blackjack or a slot machine. I think gambling addicts tend to play those types of things Uh because those things are pure action. You know, those things are like you press a button, you get action. You press a button, you get action. Poker is much slower. And I I think that that doesn't really appeal to people who are severely addicted to gambling. But of course, you know, those types of players will play poker too. Yeah, I guess I guess I've often seen people in my life that have had addictive personality traits go into gambling poker. I don't know if it's poker or not poker. And uh, and a lot of times they have to like heal and come out of it just because they haven't figured out how. And of course, it's not it's not gambling. There's bigger issues going on, obviously. But that's at least something that I've uh, I've experienced in my own life. I I really liked how you answered the question, though, Brad. Tell me me a lot about how you are as a person. So thank you for that. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. The, the, like I, I see a lot of skill set in, in being in the poker world. So 
how do you take that skill set and implement it in your relationships or like out of like i always see the as you're speaking i see the poker as maybe even like a a, a microscope mm. and how do you take it out into the world so poker poker is a funny game where you can make all the right decisions and get the wrong results so your feedback is not always clear mm. and your feedback is not always clean and so the way that I apply that to my life is I do the best I can with the information that I have in the moment. I try to make the best decisions and then I let it go. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I describe it to my students as if you're driving down the road and your tank is low on gas, you've got 20 miles left. You see a gas station, 10 miles away, you stop, you get out of your car, you step in a puddle and you break your arm. Was the decision to get gas bad? And, and mm. the answer is no, you needed gas you worked with the information that you had and you did the yeah. best that you could. So I think mm. that's, that's where I really lean on what I've learned from poker is just sometimes shit doesn't work out. Sometimes a meteor falls from the sky and destroys yeah. everything you've been working on. And that's life. It will be a wonderful chaos. Yeah. That's is a wonderful chaos. <laughs> would, would you say there's been, uh, um, to what degree does you, like really having a tough moment in your life, like let's say someone dies or there's a breakup in a relationship, to what degree would you say, I, I can't play tonight because I'm not, I can't fully be present with this? Or would, would you say that I'll play and use that to my advantage? I think that the macro affects the micro. And if you show up at, at a poker table in any compromised emotional state, it will reflect in your decision-making. It will reflect wow. in how quickly you're, you get agitated, how quickly you mm. start expecting the worst. And so when something bad happens, and I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, I think there's an unhealthy belief in the poker community, uh, in some spaces of the poker community, that you've got to, like, switch your emotions off. And we're human beings. That's not a thing you can do. I, I think we can all relate to times where we've been emotionally triggered, um, depression, unhappiness, something horrible happens in your life. You can't just switch that off, right? There's no, there's no switch to say, oh, mm. shit, I, I don't want to feel unhappy anymore. I'm just going to, boop, okay, it's gone. So mm. for me, it's, I tell my guys, you know, feel your emotions. You, you have to feel your emotions. You have to have compassion for yourself. You have to tell yourself that it's okay to feel upset. It's okay to be annoyed that something didn't go my way, right? I, we, mm -hmm. we often, too often times try to bury those emotions and then they just end up blowing up in our face. So for me, it's if I'm going through a period of grief, then I'm going to do the best that I can to feel the grief. I'm going to cry. I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be unhappy. And I'm going to tell myself that I'm loved, I'm safe. And I'm still worthy as a human being, even though I'm feeling these emotions that are uncomfortable nice. and do the best that I can to recover. I've got a website for you. <laughs> We have a group called hashtag and it's fucking great. And all it is is taking the thing that you resist most in yourself and giving it a place. So, yeah, we're very much proponents of allowing your emotions to be acknowledged and just letting them be without needing to solve them or fix or anything. So, yeah, in any. Nice. In any high performance field, I think that's the the downfall of high performers. They we we want to control everything when yeah. 
you just can't. And like you're, we're even scheming of, well, how do I make myself not feel this emotion? Like, yeah. no, that that's not how they work, right? You you, yeah. you don't get no. to do that. I've got I've got a question, kind of in 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 the direction of Bombos earlier. So, you, but off air, you mentioned that you were married and you're no longer married. I'm wondering how did poker play into the relationship, and was there friction? Because I I have a story in my head, like you know, like. I, I, let me own it. Like if I was playing poker for a living and my wife was anywhere involved in it, it would be tension in our relationship because she would want to control something that can't be controlled. It just, so to what degree was there tension at all? If, if in, in your guys' relationship because of the poker. So I, I'm remarried um, in that, that one before the tension, the, the, there was tension everywhere all the time and yeah. it very rarely had anything to do with poker i mean I, <laughs> like I, uh, that's, we don't need to go into that i just was that, that specifically yeah right and yeah. My, my wife who's you know my soulmate and the person i love more than anything in the world you know she understands what i'm doing mm-hmm. she understands the nuances she understands that not every day is going to be sunshine and roses and we kind of have mm-hmm. to compartmentalize those different aspects of the day-to-day life. But, mm. you know, like I said, I, I, I went years without having a losing month. So yeah, yeah. the finances weren't really, Ever they're, they're, they're not, not a ma- major issue. Yeah. Would she, would she, would, is it like a stock thing where she'd say, how did you do today? Or is that, that isn't even discussed? Uh, with, with my wife, I, I don't, she doesn't, you know, she's a, an entrepreneur herself and owns her business. And, I think that like we just have an agreement that she buys stuff for her business all the time and has a bunch of business expenses. And I don't mm-hmm. ask her what her uh, expenses, her payroll and all that stuff is, is, and she doesn't really ask me about my expenses. And the oh, day, no, no, the day not, not that it would be, I was thinking more like I'm thinking at the dinner table when you're sitting there having dinner today is the question, how did you do today, honey? And the, Oh, I'm up. So, or is that even the discussion at the table? I don't think so. Not really. Oh, interesting. I mean, Fascinating. I, but, I, you know, in full disclosure, I haven't played very much in the last seven or eight months. I've been yeah. building my podcast. I've been building my business. As you guys know, I'm sure it's a lot of work. I write a daily newsletter. I have 10 or so private coaching students that I do sessions mm. with every week. Wow. Um, I make courses. I do research. Like, there's not well, enough time in the day. Wow. You're, you're taking it to another level. Then. Yeah, you really are. Um, during the time when you were dating, how would, like, did you feel like, uh, like, like, oh shit, now I need to reveal, answer the question, what do you do for a living? No, no, no. I, I look, anybody asks me on the street, I tell them I play poker professionally and and that's just how I've always been. Like I, I, I don't, I never even misrepresent myself at a casino. If somebody asks me what I do, I play poker. This is what I do. Like, I don't, I think that. It goes against my nature to withhold that or try to be deceptive. So Mm. I found that just as it relates to mental peace and my own sanity, just telling the truth often uh, is the best way to go about it. And I'm not ashamed of what I do. It's not really a sticking point. And I think that like if, if somebody couldn't accept me for who I am and what I do, then why should I be afraid to disclose that? Because that's a relationship that won't be going anywhere anyway you know as you talk brad i'm laughing because 
we're asking all these salacious questions, kind of expecting this other world. And all I hear is no difference than anything I'd have with my wife talking about, like, I'm not interested in if the shares have gone up or down in a day. I'm not, you know, so what, basically what I hear is just basically everyone else's normal life. It's just you've put it into this, you know, other world, which is yeah. just uh, it's just really fascinating for me. Like, yeah, like, how common it is. The funny thing is with me. Uh, like I had a completely like I didn't know what to project onto the show by the way like I had I I felt that we would be going into a more uh, dark dark Mm -hmm. part of life and I have to say I'm sitting here and I feel so much love for you as a a human being thank you that it touches me deeply yeah it's Uh, like I I almost want to name it and celebrate you as a person because I can even imagine you as a coach and coaching people into the poker world, mm-hmm. you're, you're also bringing ethics and what it means to be a human being and even helping people connect to the parts of themselves which are not so easy. It feels like you're a life coach, actually. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I appreciate that. I feel the love from you guys as well. And that's that's a major reason why I do my podcast, why I kept doing my podcast, even when it was taking so much time and energy with like negative returns for a while. Um, because I would get off the line and feel on cloud nine. Like I would feel, have just an emotional bliss that, you know, didn't matter how bad I was feeling that day. Whenever I got done speaking with somebody, I would just feel exhilarated and and Mm. great and be just in, in in a really good place. Um, like I said, the macro affects the micro and you'd be surprised at how many coaching sessions that I've done where the discussion is not, on purely, you know, the X's and O's of poker strategy, the conversation is on their life. What's going on? What's yeah. bothering them? Um, why are they so emotionally compromised? And really, because, you know, tying back into what we said earlier, or what we talked about earlier, if your life is not going well, your results at the poker table are not going well. And so the lowest hanging fruit sometimes is to try to discuss and problem solve areas related to your life first and then go into the micro of poker second. Mm. Wow. I have some other areas of interest, by the way, cheating. How often have you had to deal with it? Almost never. Almost never. Nice. How do you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. That's a great question. (laughs) So that, that is, a very good question. And I can tell you that as it relates to spotting cheaters and pointing them out and knowing if somebody is cheating, I am about as skillful as you guys are um, as it relates to just marking cards or weird shenanigans that may go on. It's not a thing that like I've never I, – I guess there, there's a direct correlation in my experience of like if somebody knows a lot about happiness, well, they've probably been unhappy. That's probably been a a problem that they've wanted to solve. If somebody's mm-hmm. an expert on marriage, they've probably been through some divorces because they've struggled, right? Where, wherever you're an expert, typically mm-hmm. that's an area where you have struggled mightily in life. And I think that with cheating, I don't know anything about it. And it's because I, I've never investigated how it's done, what what goes into it. It's it's never really been on my radar. It's so like the movies where the card but, but, comes but out I mean, of the sleeve. But have you seen it? Have you been at a table where cheating was going on and it was caught? No, never. Wow. And all that time. 
we're in a casino, man. There's there's cameras everywhere. There's dealers okay. that are mm-hmm. trained trained to spot this stuff. Got it. There, there's and, a lot of built in security. And you and you said you're playing a lot online. Is there anything because online, it, you know, you're putting your trust in. I don't know if it's an algorithm or what it is, but is there is there ways that people might cheat online because they can get away with it that you can't figure that out because you can't see what the code is behind it. So the code, I'm not worried about because. Okay. In any competitive endeavor, like owning a poker platform, this is a multi, multi billion dollar industry. And mm-hmm. if you are trying to scam the players, guess what? You lose your entire player pool overnight. You don't have a business. You lose many, many millions of dollars. So the incentives line up for the operator to act with high integrity. Um, because if they don't, there's nothing stopping me from going somewhere else and all of their players as well. Like nobody wants that kind of scandal. So yeah, that's not a thing that I worry about. I mean, other humans cheating, telling each other their cards, having a zoom meeting open and, you know, actively colluding. That's a thing that I believe I'm sure has happened and will continue to happen into the future. And luckily, like I said, the incentive for the platforms is to catch people that do such a thing. And also the players themselves, you know, there, there was a giant scandal back in 2008 on ultimate bet. There was a super user account that could see everybody's cards and they won 50 or $60 million in the very high stakes games. It's honestly, to me, it's, it's a crime that is one of the largest crimes that has been committed where the perpetrator experienced zero consequences. Like they still play poker, like we know who did it and they did never got prosecuted the platform paid everybody the money back. They covered it. Um, but the players uncovered that because of the data. You know, we get data on hand histories that we play. We have massive databases. And, you know, when you're talking about a game that is really rooted in math, well, there's going to be a lot of super genius, nerdy human beings that are going to find the mm-hmm. when something's going wrong, they're as a community. This, this is kind of sad, but historically as a community, we're the ones who have uncovered any sort of shenanigans as it yeah. relates to that sort of cheating on that sort of scale. Because, yeah, we understand when something's happening that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. If, if somebody's doing all the wrong things and yet they're getting all the right results over some extended period of time, something doesn't add up and they could prove mathematically that something was happening. And yeah. so – they were the ones that ultimately uncovered that the platform didn't, but you know, that was 13 years ago. And yeah, so there, there's a number of layers of security that ensure the integrity of each individual platform. And like I said, if there's a lot of money at stake, human beings will, if you can imagine what human beings might do, mm-hmm. there's probably somebody out there trying to do it. And so it's this game of, surveilling the games, um, looking at the data, tracking it, making sure that everything's on the up and up to the best of their ability. And that's kind of just how how the game online operates. And when you're playing online, because I have this weird, now you've answered some questions, I imagine you can infer a lot by looking at how people are playing online as well. Because I have this idea of I'm in front of them, it's easier, there'll be more telltale signs or giveaways of maybe what they're doing or holding or trying to bluff. But it, the same, I guess, is true when they're online. You can't see their faces when you're playing against them. You just see the cards. Sure. But I can see how long they take to take a specific action. That can 
allow me to deduce what I think hands are likely based on the speed of their action, based on how much they bet in different situations. You know, we talked about emotion and you can't read emotion online, but I can understand that when somebody makes a bet that I know feels scary, that they're much less likely to be bluffing. Um, if bluffing feels scary to them, then that just in this, basically imagine that there's $50 in the pot, right? Yeah. You've got the best possible hand and you've got $10,000 behind. I can say with a high level of confidence that when you shove $10,000 into the middle, you're almost never doing that with a bad hand. You're almost never doing that with something that is not the absolute strongest possible hand. Like, And that's an extreme version of what I'm talking about. But yeah. the reality is you wouldn't do it with nothing because you'd be scared shitless, right? Like you, you just wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And this sort of thing manifests over and over and over at the poker table where, you know, people find a bet sizing that they just don't find with bluffs. And therefore they don't find it with bluffs because they're too afraid to bluff using that specific sizing. And therefore I deduced that they just more often than not have a very strong hand. Okay. Is there, is there a time when I imagine someone must have done that and then they were just completely bluffing and then you, you back down. That must happen on occasion as well, I would imagine. Um, so I'm oddly constructed as it relates to poker in that if I think something, I execute. I, I just That's just what I do. It's what I'm sitting at the table to do. And so if I think that you're bluffing, then I'm going to call. And if you have a good hand, then you win. I mean, it's a game of imperfect information. You can't, wow. you're, you're not trying to get everything right because you just can't. You're trying to be right more than the guys that you're playing against or the girls yeah. that you're playing against. And ultimately, like, like I said before, you make a decision with all the data points, all the knowledge that you can. Mm. And then if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, but we got another hand to play. So mm -hmm. let's go. There's one thing that I took away that I did not know about poker until this, with all the little that I already knew. But the one thing I always thought was that you were looking at your hand and thinking in terms of percentages, like like you would in blackjack. I know when people talk in blackjack, there's like you can like look at the percentage chance with this hand against the hand you're looking at, what likelihood you'll win. Mm -hmm. And and what I was been utterly surprised by is that you don't appear to go at it that way. There's more of an intuition around what feels like the person's holding against what you're holding rather than saying, I'm holding this hand. This gives me a 28.57% chance of winning. And I know that, fit, you know, so it's weirdly, it doesn't sound like that's what you're doing at the poker table. And I always had the impression that was what basically gambling was about was working the numbers. I mean, there, there, like I said, the game is rooted in math and there are some fundamental things that you need to know. It's like which hands you ought to be playing like at the first decision and the decision tree. But mm -hmm. ultimately the game's not about the absolute strength of whatever it is that you have. It's about the relative strength based on um, the model that your opponent is using and the decisions that they're yeah. making. And so, yeah, I mean, basically like at some point, if your opponent makes a bet that they just never make when they have a really good hand, I could be holding Uno cards. It doesn't matter. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I just act, act and yeah. take advantage. Would you say women are better players than men? Yeah, that's a good question. I, mean, I, I think we, poker we, is poker is very unfair in that, for whatever reason, 
Um, and I can tell you, looking at the demo of my podcast, the splits, you know, there's very few women in poker at, mm. at, a, you know, at all the levels. And it's just been generally a male gender type game. And there are women that are amazing, amazing poker. It's hard to judge, like, just absolutely is one gender, one age, one, I would say younger people are better than, like, um, much older people for whatever reason. Uh, but typically, like, I don't know. I think I, that's the beauty of the game, right? It's a meritocracy. We sit down. We develop our skill. We play cards to the best of our ability. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you're from, where you were born, what language you speak. We're all, we all have access to the same uh, places to explore and grow our knowledge. And at the end of the day, it's who's going to work harder to so figure this out. The answer to your question, Bambos, no. It, it's, <laughs> but if you think about it, though. Uh, uh, well, I, I would think so based on how he described the sensibility. I would think the females tend to have a lot of that nuanced looking but, and understanding. That's what I would but, have made assumptions. But then again, if you think about poker, it's about – it's it, it is like a, a um, the masculine energy wanting to – Conquer. Yeah, it's um, conquering energy. So I, I would, uh, or maybe uh, not. He doesn't look like Brad. Does not look like a conqueror. That's the funny thing. Yeah, but I, we don't know. Brad who, is a stock. He, he, we don't Brad, know who he becomes when he's on the table. I, I mean, he <laughs> wants to ki- the same. I look the same. I act the same. I sound the same. I think but, Brad looks like more like he would share sell stocks and shares than he does like he would work at like a, a shooting pool at a in a you know in a bar somewhere. You I, know, I, I, here's the so. As it relates to like women and poker and just, you know, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell talks about like the 10,000 hour rule. Right. Yeah. And think about me coming up. I'm playing spades. I'm writing down spades theory in literature class. Right. Like mm. I'm I'm already thinking about card playing theory. And mm. when I was 19, that was my dream to play cards for a living. And so I invested every ounce of my energy from 19 till basically today to be the best card player that I could. And I think that that path is much more um, males gravitate toward, toward it for whatever reason er, earlier on and then invest the hours. But I think that any human being that gets immersed and obsessed with being the best poker player they can be from an early age and realize that it's an acceptable uh, potential career path, yeah. They're going to be successful. Like they're they're going to achieve. Um, again, doesn't matter male male or female or whoever you are. But if if you find it later on and you have invested less hours into learning mm-hmm. and growing, then naturally you're not going to be as great of a player as the people that have been doing it for a decade, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Last question from me, Brad. Um, your podcast, like, w- what is what is the purpose? Like, what kind of people do you bring on, or, or who are you? Who are the kind of people you want to bring on? Poker players, um, poker players, people in the industry, but really for me, I love story, and I always have. And story is something that I have gravitated towards, and I know that I know because this is the industry that I've chosen and the industry that I'm in. That success does not happen overnight that success is littered with failure and frustration and futility. And I love understanding where my poker players come from, where 
their path, their journey, the failures, the lessons that they've learned that they can share with my audience, the mm-hmm. things they would tell their past self um, mm-hmm. if they had a chance to sit down and give them some wisdom. Like that to me is ultimately what drives me to keep making podcasts, to keep having people on. Um, sometimes I, I know very little about my guests before I sit down with them, but I know that we share a commonality in that we both chose poker and mm. poker. Uh, there are some characteristics of poker players that I think lead people to this path. Uh, and there's camaraderie and yeah, we just connect and mm. that, that is, yeah, just poker players who have been doing this for a long time. Those are the people that I want to know how they got there. I want to know what they struggled. You know, it took a long time mm. for me to learn that, you know, when I, when I would bust people, um, out of a lot of money, I would feel bad. Like I, I especially if I knew that they had a family or maybe they're playing mm. bigger stakes than they should have been. Like I, I would feel bad. And I had existential crises as it related to that. And because of my podcast, I learned that like this, I am not unique. I am not the exception mm. to, to a person. Almost every single one of them has dealt with those same um, existential thoughts about what are we doing? What are, what value are we adding to the world? And that to me is ultimately, yeah, just super, super valuable knowing that like, I'm not alone. I'm not a lone wolf. There are other people who experience the same emotions that I have. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I get a lot out of my podcasts and mm. I, I have a base set of questions that I ask, but for the most part, you know, we talk about the journey and then we look down at the clock and it's been an hour, 30 minutes and we call it. Well, yeah. Thank you, Brad. It's been a great joy. Yeah, we kept going. We went over the hour just because there are more. I've still got more, but I'm not going to ask. We'll continue going on this path. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I I don't mind. Thank you very much. I I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Very grateful for y'all's time and your energy. Hey, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love shows where we get to dig into a whole nother life, which is so different than at least I feel that that of my own and then get a sense of what does life look like from that, from that perspective. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is it looks so normal that it actually is kind of in the end, you're looking at yourself saying, Oh, it's just like any other uh, life. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how the mind can create separation, right? Yeah. How was it for you? Oh, I I felt emotional. I felt yeah. joy. Like, yeah, th- there was a moment that I could start crying. I felt, yeah, just couldn't put words to it. It was just uh, a little bit overwhelmed. Mm. Uh, I I tend to feel overwhelmed when I'm with people who are connected, mm-hmm. and I just find that very beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. I don't know what tomorrow's show is. Do you? No, do I care? <laughs> no. Okay, great. <laughs> then we will see you tomorrow again. On a wonderful yeah. chaos. Have a beautiful evening. See you tomorrow. Bye. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it down.